Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Greetings listeners, and welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm Kim Selby, the San Francisco editor, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. Now, my guest is Hillary Levy Friedman, and Hillary is a professor at Brown University and an author whose second book came out this month, and it is called, da-da, Here She Is. Anybody know what that refers to? It's the complicated reign of the beauty pageant in America, and it is great. So grab your tiaras and have a listen. This is about tiaras and feminism combined with history or her story, as Hillary says, to inform and educate us. And this is a compelling read. So Hillary, I'm delighted to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's start at the why you wrote a book about Miss America. And you tell um, our, our listeners. So I myself have never competed in a beauty pageant. That's the first thing to get out of the way. <laughs> but my mother was Miss America in 1970. So I kind of joke that pageants and maybe rhinestones and sequins are in my DNA. Um, so I grew up around this world. I went off to college, um, started studying sociology, getting, you know, I've always been more of a bookworm uh, and thought of sort of beauty and brains as mutually exclusive until I got older. Then, you know, life was amazing. And the first year I came to Brown University, I was teaching a class called Beauty Pageants in American Society, which was an upper level seminar for undergraduates. And it turned out that one of the students in that class became Miss America the next year. So that isn't coincidental, right? Yes. So, I mean, she had been competing in pageants before. And she had competed in Miss North Dakota four times. I went the year after she graduated and I advised her senior thesis and everything. I went to support her, was amazing. And then the next year she won, I was in Atlantic City. I definitely counted as one of the top five, like most exciting things I've ever experienced in my life. But here's my mom who is Miss America. Here's my student. And I just thought I have this story that I'm uniquely positioned to tell both as a feminist who's really involved in like organized um, women's, the organized women's movement, but also um, loving pageants, growing up around it. And so I have sort of an insider outsider perspective. So when you grew up, you actually loved pageants. You didn't like think anything, you thought it was part of normal life or because your mom, you know, competed. How old were you when she, were you alive when she won? Wait. No, no, that's not allowed. (laughs) Oh, that's Um, right, duh. Of course. <laughs> yes, that's not a lot. I was born 10 years after she was Miss America. Okay, yeah. So she okay. was Miss America in 1970. I was born in 1980. <laughs> Duh, um, I just read that. And uh, yeah, I just, 
I say, as I write in the book, it's like, instead of books on the bookshelves, you can see my bookshelves and they're filled with books, but um, my childhood home, they were filled with crowns. And that image sort of encapsulates these like dualities that I've been living with for a really long time. But I've never not known what a beauty pageant is, right? Like it was just part of normal life. Yeah, so your mom, like, did she ever want you to um, participate or did you ever want to participate in a beauty pageant? So when I was about nine, uh, mom was judging a child beauty pageant and I went with her. I often went with her on the weekends and sort of hung out backstage. I joke that's when I really learned how to do the kind of research that I do now. <laughs> but um, at the end, I said, you know, I think I could do this. I saw who'd won and, you know, I took some dance and I thought, yeah, maybe this is for me. This looks really fun. And so my mom gave me what I think was the best advice she ever gave me, which was, if you do this and you win, some people will say you only won because you're my daughter or you could deserve to win and not win because you're my daughter. And she said, you really need to find your own path. Then I took that to heart. Of course, now I've written a book about beauty passion, so it stayed <laughs> with me. And I'm sure if when I was in my twenties, I had said, I really, really want to compete in Miss America or whatever it is that she would have been supportive, but you know, Look, someone would have to pay me a lot of money, especially now, to put on a bikini. Um, <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> it probably wasn't really my thing in college either. Although, I think back to those days and I think, oh, when I thought I couldn't, I really should have. Um, but, you know, I've really followed my own path in that way. Again, though, here I am writing a book about beauty pageants. So, I mean, I think it's really fascinating because when I was growing up, and I'm a bit older than you, it was it was beginning that push and pull of, you know, Vietnam was going on and it was sort of like you had to secretly admire beauty pageants, you know, because in the 1970s, things were a little topsy-turvy, you know, in terms of, I mean, embarrassedly, I was a debutante, you know, and there, that had gone you know, really gotten a lot smaller, that world. So I don't know, I never really followed Miss America, but. But I, I mean, I think it's had an evolution, has it not? And you go into the history of it. And what I think is so interesting, and for those listening, in case you did not, um, were not aware that the women, first women earned the right to vote in August of 1920, which is really amazing. But, I, and I think it's fascinating in your book, how, can you tell us, I know this is not like that important, but I thought it found it fascinating about the sashes, you know, that chapter on the yeah, suffragettes. So, you know, if we're, Miss America is turning a hundred soon and the 19th amendment just turned a hundred and that's not an accident. And the, one of the best ways I can relate the two is that when the suffragists would do these public parades, which was really out there that women were taking to the streets and marching and all of that, they would wear their dresses to show they were still feminine, but they declared what they believed by wearing a sash and the sash kept the dress visible, right? So it was an interesting fashion statement that was both conservative, but also progressive. And so uh, when Miss America started very shortly after the 19th Amendment was ratified and became part of the Constitution, that became the same way that those contestants were identified. You could see what they were wearing, whether it was a bathing, bathing suit or a dress, and it said where they were from. And 
that has become, you know, and remains one of the major symbols of beauty pageants. But we also see it like at bachelorette parties. Again, I don't know how many of these things are happening right now <laughs> in our times, but bachelorette parties, birthday parties, and all of that. And so it's just this really interesting transformation of this uh, fashion accessory. Now, to go back to what you were saying about changes in the 60s and the 70s, and was it embarrassing to say you were into pageants? So first of all, I don't think you should be embarrassed that you were a debutante. Why do you feel embarrassed? Well, because it was an elitist thing and I didn't want to do it. Um, well, I had a boyfriend. It's a whole story. But uh, my parents were really socially, you know, involved. And it just, it just put me apart. And I didn't want to be a part of that world. You know, I think it just was the elitist world. And yet I think I it's do different because you didn't want to do it. So right. that makes it a little bit different. Okay. So I think that as women, sometimes we apologize for the things that we like. Like, listen, I love Bravo. I watch The Real Housewives. Not that I necessarily want to be that, but like, that's okay. We shouldn't feel bad about it. And I feel like pageants still are dismissed by a lot of people. And it's part of the reason, far from the only reason, but part of the reason when Donald Trump announced he was running for president, people were like, the guy who owns beauty pageants and like is a reality TV star and that sort of thing. And when we dismiss something as being frivolous and yet so many people are interested, we're just not paying attention to the stuff of everyday life that matters. So it is true though, that by the late 1960s and in the 1970s, you know, I think the term at the time would have been if you competed in pageants, you were a square. <laughs> it was like a very square thing to do. It was very establishment. It was not counterculture at all. Um, the hair was still very old fashioned. You know, if you look at the bathing suits, you know, the, the shoes were dyed to match the bathing suits. Like, you know, this was not what you were wearing at Woodstock or something, right? So of course, like there was that moment and I think Part of the reason the 1968 protests took place out of the Miss America pageant, outside of the Miss America pageant, was because it was so popular and it did cap capture the imagination of so many people. So it was like the springboard for the women's movement, but at the same time, it was not progressing in the way that it should have and the way it had been Miss America in particular for previous decades. Well, I feel like it got such a bad rap. and and somewhat deservedly so, so with yeah. the bathing suit focus on the figures. And I love your little anecdote with the one woman who won or young lady who won because she had a great figure. And she said, mom, what's a figure? Uh, yeah. I'm like, it obviously wasn't intentional and yet it was, I don't know. I mean, that whole part of it does bug me a little bit. You know, I think things have evolved and changed, but it was looked at as a beauty contest, not what it has evolved into today, right? Absolutely. I mean, Miss America and Miss USA are different, which a lot of people don't know. And they're like, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, you shouldn't be expected to know necessarily. But I joke that the difference between them is Miss America as, well, I say it's the three T's, talent, tuition, and I hope I can say this on the podcast, tits. Yes, you can. <laughs> so Miss, Miss America has the first two, um, talent. There's a talent competition and tuition, which is the scholarship money that's meant to promote higher education for women. Um, whereas Miss USA, which was born out of Miss America in the 1950s, has always been about how you look. You know, Miss America was trying to pull back on this bathing beauty focus. The Miss America 1951 had said, I don't want to do appearances in my bathing suit. 
And Catalina, which was still a swimsuit company and sponsor <laughs> at the time, was like, um, we'll go start our own pageant. And that's how Miss Universe and Miss USA started. So it's always been about how you look in a bathing suit and like, are you beautiful? Whereas Miss America has become much more complicated. Um, the other thing too that I think besides the focus on appearance is that it's a particular type of appearance and it excludes women, you know, it's very white. I mean, the first black woman didn't compete until the Miss America 1971 pageant. Like some states had had black women competing and Asian women, um, but there was not really diversity in terms of um, black women until the 1970s. Of course, yeah. Vanessa Williams in 1984 was the first black Miss America and the first black Miss USA was even after that. So the racial exclusion, whether it's black women or brown women, uh, certainly we're not seeing women with different types of bodies at these big pageants of Miss America and Miss USA. So there are a lot of problems that we have to acknowledge as well, while still saying this is more complicated than we think. Is it still, I mean, do you feel like, do, do the women who apply, I mean, it seems like that's pretty rigorous. You have to have a talent, you have to be attractive, and you have to have brains. I mean, that's, that's a lot to, I mean, I guess there's a lot of really talented women out there, so it's not that big of an issue, and then they have to want to participate. Do most of them want to participate because of the tuition that they get, that they receive, or is it sort of split? I mean, okay, guilty pleasure, I love The Bachelor and Bachelorette. And you know, I know there were some former, now I don't know whether UA or USA or America, they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, let's just say. So yeah, I don't know. So maybe they were Miss USA, but- they, uh, There's been a mix, but yes. Most, the most recent season that had a bunch of pageant girls, they were all Miss USA. Okay, there, that makes more sense. <laughs> um, but is it still as popular today? Uh, the pageants. Yeah, the pageant. Yeah, no, there's been a big decline. I mean, you brought up The Bachelor. The Bachelor is yeah. such a good example because, you know, I really say The Bachelor is a new form of Miss America. If you think about it, when you watch especially the early episodes in a season, they're almost, well, definitely, they wear a bathing suit in every single episode. <laughs> um, often there's like some sort of talent competition, like they'll do, you have to do a talent show or you have to, you know, put some act together. And then the rose ceremony, right? They're in their evening gowns and for many years, Chris Harrison actually hosted Miss America. Um, and there is a strong Miss America connection because one year Mike Fleiss, who's the inventor and producer of The Bachelor, he judged and the woman who won, who at the time was Miss Wisconsin, her name's Laura Kapler, they ended up getting married. So oh. there's a very strong pageant connection. Um, and yes, so, uh, you know, when you think about in the past, you know, Miss America was a way there were links to the debutante world and the debutante world at, at, at root is about presenting yourself to society to think about marriage. So there's a lot going on there that's pretty complicated. I mean, I do think the women who compete at Miss USA are very intelligent as well. Like the current Miss USA is a lawyer. Um, she's the first lawyer to ever win. Uh, but it is very different. Like you, as you said, you have to have a talent you have to be physically fit. You have to be per pursuing higher education. And on top of that at Miss America, and to some extent at Miss USA, you have to have this like charity cause that you believe in, this platform issue that you've shown you're dedicated to, um, that you've raised money for, raised awareness over the years. So it's not like you can just, I mean, on some level Miss USA is 
you can decide the weekend before and be like, I'm getting a bathing suit and evening gown and you can do it. Whereas Miss America, you have to, you know, you could throw a talent together. If you've seen Miss Congeniality, she does the water <laughs> things. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's harder to say, oh, I'm going to get an advanced degree or, you know, have some cause I really believe in last minute. Yeah, that that's so funny. That is one of my favorite movies, though, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> love it. I love it. But what I love um, also about your book is you give a lot of history on feminism. And can you talk a little bit about um, the combination of the, you know, feminism? I mean, what, what's great is when you first think of pageants, you think, oh, you're going to dis dismiss pageants. They're just like, eh. But you don't. And I feel that you're very respectful of the feminism feminism movement along with pageants. So how do you see that uh, connection? So I really believe that we can see the history of American feminism by telling the story of beauty pageants. And they've always been related from the start. Um, you know, you think about the sashes, as I already mentioned, second wave feminism, one of the foundational public events was took place outside of this America pageant in 1968. I mean, even up to the present day, when we think about this wave of feminism that we're in, the Me Too movement, Gretchen Carlson, who was Miss America, um, and who sued Roger Ailes and sort of predated the social media aspect of Me Too, but really brought, brought the sexual harassment angle to light. I mean, she's a former Miss America. She ended up coming in and taking over the Miss America pageant a few years ago when the male CEO was ousted over um, emails that slut shamed former Miss America, spoke of them in, in a derogatory way. So even there, you see these like really intense links between the feminist movement and Miss America. And when we look at women's history, we really see all these monumental changes that have occurred and in this case, American women's lives. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think that especially feminism today is about choice. And so, yeah, women should be able to fight in combat and it's, we should fight when women are excluded from particular things. I mean, think women used to not be able to go to medical school and all of these things, not okay. But, you know, that's not for everyone. Those professions are not for everyone. And if it's about you know, you want to stay home or you want to be a reality TV star, whatever it is, like that's, that's a valid choice as well. And so that's how I approach everything, not only in this book, but in my life too. Mm, I love that. So do you think that, um, I mean, it still feels like pageantry gets sort of a bad rap. I mean, the whole thing with Jean Benet, you know, that especially the children, the toddlers and tiaras. I mean, I looked at that, my kids and I used to watch that and laugh and go, oh my God, these poor kids. What, what part, how important is that? Do you think that is something that should be taken away or is it something that you think is valid? So obviously the child pageants are much more problematic in many ways. Uh, so the whole way I got started with the pageants research was actually my senior thesis was about child beauty pageants and why mothers put their very young daughters, it was six and under that I was looking at in pageants because, you know, there it's pretty much entirely the mom's decision. Although now that I've had a three-year-old myself, I know that's not entirely true because they really, if they don't want to do something, they're not going to do it. But, um, you know, I think that at those events, if you're going to carry an 18-month-old on stage, it's really just about how she looks, right? Like they can't 
do anything. I mean, I've seen a six week old in a child beauty pageant, like they're not walking, they're not smiling, you know, they're not even really smiling at that age. So that is much harder to make sense of and think like those kids don't have agency for the most part in the same way that an 18 year old or 28 year old does. Um, I mean, I feel like I try to present how child beauty pageant moms see the world and, um, my first book, Playing to Win, was about kids and competitive after-school activities. And, you know, I joke that the chess parents I met think I would never put my child in a child beauty pageant, but the child beauty pageant moms would never put their children in chess tournaments on the weekend, right? Like, the orientation to the world is very, very different, and what they think is possible for their children is very, very different. So if you want your daughter to be Britney Spears, which I think she's still like a good one to maybe aspire to be like, or Miley Cyrus or Demi Lovato. Um, you know, this seems like a more rational choice, right? Again, problematic. What does it mean when a girl looks in the mirror and she can't really recognize herself? When you tell someone they're beautiful and this is definitely not how they look every single day. So even if you're saying beauty is important, like, well, when they go to school on the Monday after a pageant, that's not how they look. Are they not beautiful then? So it is very complicated. And the Jean Benet Ramsey murder, I mean, made this whole world just explode on the scene. Yeah, that's really too bad. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, child beauty pageants, but I certainly have spent, um, you know, in the past, I, I loved watching Miss America. And it, it was generally, I think I read in your book that you said that really it was mostly women who watched this, that tuned in. I guess because it's aspirational as well. I mean, especially if you're a teenage or a young teen, you know, a tween or whatever, and you're watching these women who, you know, are beautiful and going to college and, you know, it's somewhat aspirational, I guess, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason too, you might like it because we watch when there's the Academy Awards, mm. You watch the red carpet before. Um, that's one of the big things that's talked about after. I mean, obviously those people are extremely talented, but we're still talking about what did they wear? Who wore it better? Who did your makeup? Who did your hair? So that's part of it. And I think that is part of what appeals to a lot of people about pageants, not just to participate, but the fans as well. It's like Miss America this past year basically eliminated the evening gown portion. And so many fans were like, um, hello, I watched this because I want to see the dresses. And, you know, it, we don't think that it's real life. We know that it's a fantasy. I think in the past, that was probably a little bit different. We're much, much, much more savvy media consumers these days. But still, like, that's fun to a lot of people. Well, it's fun to me, I admit. I mean, I love watching the gowns on the Academy Awards. And I used to love that part in the, you know, Miss America as well. How is, uh, well, you did tell me something uh, that was just announced also. Share that, which is interesting in this time we are recording in the time of COVID. Yeah, so Miss USA and Miss USA just announced along with Miss Teen USA that they plan to have a pageant in November in Memphis at Graceland, which is really interesting. Definitely a lot of rhinestones in Elvis's <laughs> place. Um, and there won't be a lot of people in the audience, but they are having a live pageant and it will be on television. So uh, that is very interesting. The location is interesting. I'm sure we're gonna be finding out more as time goes on, 
they were able to have, Miss USA was able to have state pageants sort of before COVID struck. And so they have contestants, whereas Miss America, when pretty much all of their state pageants are in the late spring and over the summer, only one state pageant was even able to select a winner. And so, I mean, there's just no way to have an event this year. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that will disappoint a lot of young women too. Well, yeah. I think they're gonna, extend, like the Olympics is doing, they're changing some of the age requirements and all that to take it into account what's happened. Um, Cause what if you were gonna, what if this was your last year to compete at Miss America? Um, so there'll be some, I was gonna say grandfathered, but I shouldn't say that grandmothered <laughs> in. Um, so, but you know, it's very interesting cause it was supposed to be the celebration of the hundredth anniversary of Miss America this year. And so that will be pushed back. Um, it's a little bit of fuzzy pageant math because Miss America, first Miss America happened in 1921. It's just, they started this post dating thing <laughs> later oh. on. And so, yeah, we don't have to get onto all of it, but in 1970, they celebrated the 50th anniversary of Miss America. So that oh. had been the goal in 2020. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. There's so much great history that you write about in terms of beauty as well. And, and um, the beauty industry. And I, I just, I, as we are talking, I'm like trying to figure out why do I, I mean, I have a whole bunch of tiaras. My mom in the sixties, when she went out, you know, they would put on these gowns and they'd put a little tiara on their head. I have my mom's tiaras. I love sparkly things. Why do we love that? I mean, I love lipstick, you know? I mean, I know there are plenty of women who don't care about that, but there's plenty of us who do. And, and I think, you know, you talked a little bit about beauty. I mean, it's such a deep sociological, you know, chat. It's nothing that we can cover completely. And then the whole thing about beauty pageants and politics. I mean, we only have about five more minutes, but, you know, I don't know if you want to get into that at all, but that's another wheel in the cog. Well, <laughs> cog let's see if wheel. I can do those three really fast. So the makeup's really interesting because the reason we wear makeup is it's rooted in us as animals really you know humans we are social beings but we still have this animal part and so a red lip mascara wide eye flush cheeks for rouge like that was all about sexual attraction and reproduction and so i think pageants when you're doing that exaggerated femininity it's almost like drag right like uh when you yeah. get dressed up and you're super feminine if you have a pageant face that's true for the child pageant girls too you know that's really rooted in how we are as humans, as animals. Now I think the sparkly things is kind of similar in a way like peacocks. Like why do we think peacocks are so beautiful? Why do they put up, you know, their beautiful feathers? And that's fine that some women don't like the rhinestones and the sparkly things, but they also shouldn't put down the women who do. And I think that comes with age, right? Like in my early twenties, I probably felt more uncomfortable with it. Like now it's like, if you don't like me because I paint my nails or I have rhinestones on my cell phone cover case, like that's your problem. That's not my problem, right? Like we just start embracing the things that we actually like. Um, and so I think it is super interesting that so many pageant winners, both from Miss USA, but especially from Miss America are going on to political careers. Um, and this is happening a lot more recently. So 
Four Miss Americas are running for state and national office. There are many state winners who are currently in local and state office. And you can say that, um, you know, politics has become a little bit more like entertainment. You just got to speak in short sound bites. You got to be good on camera. Yeah, you probably, you know, need to be attractive and look good. Um, but by the same token, a lot of the pageants have become much more serious. I mean, I say a platform issue that's borrowed from politics. Those women are able to answer questions in front of millions of people on television about like how to end ISIS or something, which is something a lot of candidates can't say so succinctly. So that's an interesting crossover that says something about both politics and the pageants. Oh, that's so interesting. So juicy because that's so true. You know, entertainment news, news is not entertainment um, news so much as it's entertainment news. And uh, I, I think that's great. I mean, they're getting this exposure. They're getting the opportunity to speak in front of millions of people to hone their speaking skills, to hone their ideas so that they are short and succinct. So that's very interesting. Well, and that's good for all of us, right? Like we all want to figure out who are we and how do we tell our story? And, you know, I say to high school students, that's your college admissions essay. Say to my college, okay, well, that's what you get to do when you write your law school thing or go through job interviews. And that's what that's really what this pageant process can be for some people. And um, it's all a work in progress, right? Like still at, you know, <laughs> in my forties working on this book, it's like, what is the story that I want to tell? And what does that say about me? And so that becomes easier as we know, as we get older. Yes, we that's so, yeah, we hope, we hope. And I think it's wonderful what you have brought to light. I've not, I'm not familiar with any other books that are like this. It's, you are demystifying pageantry. And I love that you are giving an unbiased view of, of pageantry and feminism and the combination of the two. Yeah, I, I really encourage you. That's the point. So I'm glad you got it. I got it. Yay. I get an A in my class. Thank you, Professor. <laughs> well, this was such a delightful conversation. I really appreciate your sharing your time with us today to talk about here she is. Oh, I wish I had the music in the background. Miss America. No, that wasn't right. But anyway, the complicated reign of the beauty pageant in America. And don't be put off, listeners, by beauty pageant if you're not one of those who watched or, you know, <laughs> admired them as I did. Uh, it's a really fascinating read. It is uh, history, feminism, beauty pageants, tiaras, glitter, all rolled up with what's important today. Yeah. So... Thank you, Hillary. Thank you for having me. Of course.